welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 books the experts say you're supposed to read before you die and decide if they're really worth your time. I'm Chelsea, a lover of Harry Potter and any good sad book. And I'm Nicole, also a lover of Harry Potter and and pulling random historical facts out of historical fiction books and assuming that they're true. So, we are really excited to be with you tonight. It's book and 24. Whoop, whoop. Oh, That's so far crazy. into our books. I'm really excited because we're like more than 2% done. Yeah. You think that wouldn't feel as impressive as it feels, but it feels pretty good. It feels pretty satisfying. <laughs> it feels like we've had solid follow through. Yeah. I mean, we've been re- we haven't been releasing this long, but we've been recording for a year. So yeah. I feel like we've fully committed to this lifelong project. Cheers to us. Yes. On that note, what have you been reading besides our podcast book lately? You know, I've been in a little bit of a reading slump, and I think it's because I am in the process of trying to buy a condo. And so like yesterday, I read a 400-page Homeowners Association document, and then I was like, I can't read anymore today. Uh, so I've been reading a lot of like legalese and that's really boring, but must cannot be ignored. Yeah. And so I haven't been reading very much. I did recently read, I like, I had books at the library, I had books I own, I hadn't read, but none of them were really getting to me. And so I went on Kindle, the Kindle app for the prime reading that you get for free with Amazon. Mm-hmm. And I downloaded The Selection by Kira Koss. I love this series. <laughs> which is a, the first in a uh, young adult series about that's like it's totally right up your alley like when I read it I was like Chelsea has to have read this yes because uh, it's like a princess book which you love yep pretty and much. it was I read it in two days and it was like incredibly like like I got very obsessed about it for a very short amount of time and I was very annoyed that I had to put the other book had to wait at the library the second one because mm-hmm. there's like five of them yeah and so that like really filled my need to read some serious fluff in this time it is <laughs> I love that fluffy series so the there's five three of them follow one character and then two it kind of branches off into a second trilogy oh so um I love that series I'm all about it I I have I think there's nothing wrong with like a good trash series that you just love and yeah. devour. And that definitely fits that bill. I've been reading similarly I needed some fluff, not because I'm buying a condo, but just because the book we read this week was long dense. and yeah. dense and I just needed fluff. And so I've been reading a novel called Not If I Save You First by Allie Carter. And I'm not quite done yet, but it is a novel about um, the president's son and this his Secret Service head's daughter. And they were friends when they were kids. And then for some reason, they had to, like, separate. Like, the dad and the daughter um, moved off to Alaska and lived in the wilderness by themselves. And the son obviously had to stay in the White House. Um, and then he comes to visit and he gets kidnapped. Oh. So it's like total trash and that's like, amazing that sounds great <laughs> she's turned into this like hunter girl who like bedazzles her axe like it's so bad <laughs> but so good uh i read the first like three quarters of it in like two hours and so i just that's have a little awesome. bit left to read but it's just it's just such good quality fluff yeah, that sounds amazing. It reminds me, I read a book by Meg Cabot, who wrote the Princess Diary books. Uh-huh. She wrote another, ooh, another book, Mike um, Mal- Malfunction. Um, she wrote another book, I can't remember what it's called, but it was about like dating the president's son. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> Which was, yeah, I totally am. And there was a absorbed. series of movies when we like, right after we graduated high school, there were like two of them that were about like. Oh, My Date with the President's Daughter. And then First Daughter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
So, you know, just throwing it back. Similar to Princess, <laughs> but Presidents. Yes. Uh, well, just because fluffy. Yeah, because sometimes you need that. It's this, I need it. Yeah. You want to tell us about our book for this week? Yeah. Our book for this week is called Look Homeward Angel. And as we said in the last episode, this is a book we had picked to be our second book. And we just didn't feel ready to conquer. Um, It is 508 pages long. It is by Thomas Wolfe. And it was initially published in 1929. So I think what like why didn't we read it when it was our second book? Uh, we both looked at the first, like, 10, 15 pages, and it was just very verbose. Yes. And very pretentious. Yeah. And I think we were coming off of reading The Midnight Examiner, Mm -hmm. which was so dumb that we were like, I hope some of the books we're going to read for this will like, and we just needed the second book to be a book that we would like. Yes. And so instead we read... Pavel's Letters. Pavel's Letters, which we did like. Yeah. And so this book just... But I insisted that we read this book now because I've reached the point that on my bookshelf... The podcast books are a whole shelf, and, I, and I've always just put this one on the end, not in order, you mm-hmm. know? And I was like, I, if I'm moving to a second shelf, I, this book needs to be yeah. already in there. So We're reading it. We did it. It's done. <laughs> yep. I may have finished it like two minutes before we started recording, but it is done. <laughs> yes. So before we move on, we're going to give a one-word description. Okay. My one-word description of this book is bitterness. And my one-word description is pointless. Great. <laughs> okay, if you if we were to describe this book in one sentence and a quick plot, we would say that Eugene grows up in the rural South in the early 1900s and whines about all life's normal growing pains. Pretty much. A little bit. Our opinion's kind of shining through a little bit. Um, yeah. So now we're going to get into spoilers for this book. I, I wouldn't worry about it too bad because... I almost said, should our quick plot be this book has no plot? Yeah. Um, so There's not a whole know. lot going on. Basically, this little boy, Eugene, he's born at the turn of the century. Um, and he is born into a a moderately poor, but they don't really seem that poor, family. Um, in the South, he has lots of siblings. Um, his dad is an alcoholic. He's growing up. He ends up getting to go to school because he's supposed to be really smart. His siblings kind of resent that. Uh, His family resents him for it. One of his brothers dies of influenza, pneumonia caused by influenza. And then he decides to go to Harvard and leave. Yeah, and so... (laughs) So I think the thing when we first picked it up at the beginning of the podcast and we're like, nope, is because in the very beginning of the book, he's like a sentient being while he's still in his mother's womb. And then when he's an infant and a toddler, he's like, it's as if he's so brilliant. He's an adult. He can think. Uh And that is really off-putting. But I will say that on the very first page of the book, um... Oh, I'm in the, this is the introduction. I was like, oh, this book is going to be good because of this quote. And it's talking about how, like, how did his dad, you know, end up in his life where he did marry who he did? How did these things happen? And it says, um, each moment is the fruit of 40,000 years. That's a lovely quote. And I'm just like, oh, that's brilliant. I think I wrote that in my quote journal. I was like, I love that quote. And then everything was downhill after that. <laughs> yeah. And I think that part of the problem with this novel, for me at least, was it was in the vein of Hadrian the Seventh. It was a semi-autobiographical thank you, novel about what a man wanted to tell about his life. And 
there's a quote at the beginning of the book, which is in like the little like to the reader. The author wrote it to the reader before he started writing that says, um, we are the sum of all the moments of our lives, all that is ours in them. We cannot escape or conceal it. If the writer has used the clay of life to make his book, he has only used what all men must, what none can keep from, none can keep from using. Fiction is not fact, but fiction is fact selected and understood. Fiction is fact arranged and changed with purpose. Which, again, that's a lovely quote. Yeah. And it basically sums up, he's just basically telling... His retelling his life with people and places changed, names changed, and the way he saw it. And that almost made this book worse to me. Yeah, because that's why I chose bitterness as my one word description, because not one person that was in his life, supposedly representative of a real person in his life, um, did he have a favorable, did he talk about favorably? Not one person. Every single character is is in in the main character Eugene's eyes deeply flawed and screwed up. Yeah. And, and so it's he, like you like you wrote this to like say f you to everyone you've ever known. And I read the <laughs> foreword by one of his like followers who loved his writing who basically said like people were pissed at him for writing this because they recognized themselves in that and they were upset. Yeah. Which I totally understand because he like was not nice to anyone. No. He was very haughty as if he was above this family he was raised in yeah because i would say the overall theme of the book is about like one man's journey to have a higher intellectual life Mm -hmm. and that he's trying to escape like the not just the physical poverty but the emotional like and intellectual poverty of his town yeah and so and he's the one who escaped successfully to harvard so i would assume that thomas wolthoffer left his town he grew up and got went and got an education but and then literally look down mm-hmm. on where he, his roots, you know? Um, yeah, so it's it's very, like, it feels, since this book is almost 100 years old, mm-hmm. it feels pretty sad and pathetic that this that he this is the way he processed those feelings. Yeah, and so it publicly. felt... Yeah. It felt like he lacked empathy mm-hmm. for anyone in his life, and even the side characters in the novel. So this novel was, it was 508 pages long. And there were whole sections that were, like, devoted to mocking the other townspeople. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say I I feel like in another episode we talked about, like, tropes that we love and ones that we hate. And this book does one that I definitely hate where it'll just, like, veer off the main tail for about 30 pages. And it'll be like, okay, on this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. And then it'll list 40 people in the town and what they're doing. And you think, oh, it's going to lead up and it's all going to tie together. But it doesn't. No. It's just the baker is baking bread. The preacher's daughter is sneaking in. That's a, you know. Yeah. And that's for 30 pages. And then it'll go back to the plot for no reason. That trope, I've read it elsewhere. It's so stupid if it doesn't pay off. Yeah, if there's payoff, like if it's coming up to then there's a tragedy that's going to happen. And you're seeing what people are doing before the tragedy. That's what I thought every time that there was going to be a tragedy. And that never was the case. (laughs) It was so bad. It was just like he would just go off on these rants and it would be like, and then this man, the doctor, he's already drunk. He's always drunk. And it just like, was like, you're just like name calling. I've said a like a lot of times in this episode. That's how you can tell I'm way out of teacher mode. (laughs) Um, But it was just so annoying because he just thought he was so much better. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't recognize that his family was what gave that to him. 
And so all of the family characters were painted in a really uncharitable light. Even like even to a point where it was very hard to see them as real characters. They were like caricatures. Yeah, they totally were caricatures and like how alcohol- alcoholism ran through the family and different family members struggle with alcoholism. Mm-hmm. But and that even he would like there the whole section where he tastes liquor for the first time was the dumbest thing I've ever read. You know, like mm-hmm. it was just very unrealistic. And I feel like not treating alcoholism realistically at all. And like, I don't know. It, I just found that part disappointing or the part where he loses his virginity. It's just all of it. It was just like, is this your if this is your life? It's very sad. Or he would sometimes go off on multi-page tangents where he would be imagining he was the characters from the movies or imagining he was book characters that he loves. And at one point, he's going down a list. Shakespeare, so-and-so from some movie, blah, blah, blah. Jesus Christ. Like... And then he'd be like, and I'm greater than them all. Yeah. It would always end in that I'm I'm the perfect compilation of all the good qualities of these, you know, famous yeah. figures. And it was interesting because he the author, I just kept thinking, I feel like I would have hated this book less. I still wouldn't have liked it, but I wouldn't have felt as angry if I hadn't have known that it was semi autobiographical and that this is how he really felt about the people yeah. in his life. Yeah, that's yeah, it definitely made it made it worse. Cause because if, if just a bad character is a different than a person, a bad person. You know? Yeah, like reading about yeah. this bad character who doesn't appreciate anyone. Because then it would feel like it had a point. Like you're yeah. gonna learn a lesson, or they're they're painting like you, it's a satirical. But no, there's no point. This it's is just, just how he, he felt. Yeah. So we've read this book over quite a long time because yeah. we went on vacation, and in that time, and I was, and every time I talked about it to anyone, I was just like, this book is like so weird. It's like really, it's not good. And then I saw it on the table at a bookstore, like out so people could see it. Mm-hmm. Even, and I was like, what? Why would this is like being recommended? And it was a question on Jeopardy. This was the answer. Yeah. And, and, I, and I had never heard of this book before, but apparently it is a well-known book, and I don't know why we're still reading this. No, and it has a ton of like praise for it. So I, I read the foreword. I read the little praise thing at the front that was written by the person who wrote Cold Mountain. I read some authors that influence some quotes online yeah. because I was just trying to figure out what is it about this that is good. And yeah. one thing I noticed was a it was all males. Mm-hmm. And B, most of them talked about how this was a good picture of what it felt like to be a boy trying to find his place in the world. And A, if that's true, that makes me disgusted for the male race. <laughs> yes, preach. Yeah. Um, male, male race. They're male a gender. different race. Yeah, male gender. Um, male gender. And I just don't know that I know anyone who thinks things like this character thought things. No, because I think the vast, vast majority of people are underneath pretty insecure about something. And so this character doesn't present present that. And so I, I don't think it's a, like people aren't like this. No. So yeah. it was interesting. Yeah, so I, I did know. notice yeah, that it was all male. Lots of male authors had said this is the book that inspired them to be a writer even though it doesn't really even get into how Eugene, the character, becomes a writer. It's just that he goes off to school and presumptively he becomes this guy, yeah. Thomas Wolfe, the author. But I definitely, I think I said on the podcast not that long ago that I feel like I've outgrown reading coming-of-age stories because I think they're dumb now because I'm too old for them. Uh-huh. And that I don't like that the ones that have a female lead, often the thing that brings her to adulthood is a sexual assault. 
mm-hmm. of some kind. That's very common. That's like so like it it sadly can be true very often, mm-hmm. but it's also like that shouldn't be the only story that's being coming age story that's being told for women. But and this, I mean, this is a coming age story, but I, yeah, I definitely, I don't know if that's what something that contributed to me a lot not liking it, but it, it doesn't even feel like a realistic coming of age no. story. Or it definitely hasn't stood the test of time. No. Um, also, also, I, um, the, there is a, the race, this book is set in the South, it's in the mm-hmm. 20s, when the Klan was at its peak, you know, like, it's post-Civil War peak, like, um, the race stuff in here is ludicrous. It should, it should, nobody should read this on that alone. And I get it. You could put it in the same category as like Huckleberry Finn uses the N word a lot. But Huckleberry Finn has other merit things to merit it. Some yes. people would say, I hate that book, but some people would say. But this book doesn't have anything else. So it's just gratuitous. It's unnecessary. I think it's unnecessary for the modern world to have this book. I, yeah. I, the way they described the African-Americans, the way they called it the N-word town and, like, described that as if it was something awful, terrible place full of just, um, not hedonistic, that's the wrong word, but full of, like, base desires was really disturbing. And I'm sure that's how people thought. And I... I find sometimes there is merit in knowing how people thought back then, but that was not the point of this book. That was not what this book meant by it. This author just really like thought these things. Yeah. And so that's really hard for me when it's not teaching a lesson. And I feel like current books that I read now, I think it's the, I always think they're the best if they're pushing society forward if they're mm-hmm. examining things even if i disagree with them but they're they're uh, authors who have books that are read by millions should be a step ahead of where we are ever as where the baseline is and this was not a step ahead for its time not even that. not even for its time and no. obviously now it's way behind um and also like speaking of it being like a the place the part of like the slum part that the black people were forced to live in uh-huh. um that it was full of base desires all of the little white boys in the town went there to lose their virginity with prostitutes. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it's just terrible. And they're like, <laughs> it's terrible. They described sex with African American women as if it was more, I want to say like base desires, like more fulfilled that than sex with white women in the story. Yeah, because, which yeah. also was like yeah. a particularly nasty brand of racism, which I really did not like. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt like this this book was full of insidious little things like that. Yeah. That and it can't be justified based on other merits. No. And other books we've read have had that, but then there's been other things that are of value, but this book I don't think has that. No, and it was definitely it gave you a picture of what the South was probably like back then, but it was something I already knew and it felt like he actually believed it and again because I knew it was semi-autobiographical it made it more disgusting to me because it's like it's not just a person writing about this i can't even see a satire or a farce this is really what this person thought yeah there was no critique in it there's yeah and that yeah that that i think makes the difference for me that if i'm reading books that have that in it i need to feel like they're making a critique on it or like i like what you said like they were ahead of their time at the time Mm -hmm. so like i know you didn't agree with this but part of the reason why i felt like when we were talking about Around the World in 80 Days and I didn't hate it as much, was even though it was really racist, I think that it was ahead of where 
much of the world was at that time. So it was pushing a boundary and pushing an envelope. um, Whereas this one wasn't. There is one other section of this book that I marked. I literally marked two things in this book. And it was a section talking about... He was on like a long thing about American Earth and traveling the soil and blah, 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 blah. But the quote in it was very poignant, I thought. And it says... Um, oh God, oh God, we have been in exile in another land and a stranger in our own. The mountains were our masters. They went home to our eye and to our heart before we became five. And it goes on and on about senses and the American land. And it ends with, and the old hunger returned, the terrible and obscure hunger that haunts and hurts Americans and that makes us exiles at home and strangers wherever we go. And I thought that was interesting because I've been thinking a lot about what it is that it it means to be an American and how that how that identity and what that identity really is and how that identity oftentimes is based off this idea of like wanting more like the American ideal like we always want one more thing and we always mm-hmm. want to go one more place and we always want to be one step above where we are and it's never good enough to just be what you are in that moment in time that's not like an idealized thing in our culture um and I thought that this was a good verbal representation of that that like it haunts and it hurts america that that's an ideal for us and that that's what we're always striving for something else rather than than being happy with like what you have or being able to be content in any way and i thought that that was really interesting because that is an ideal like the american dream is to have it all and to have everything and how does that haunt and hurt us as a people. Yeah. And that was not his intent in this section at all. I would not like to attribute that to Thomas Wolfe. Yeah, <laughs> he thinks it's good. <laughs> that sentence yeah. was just really striking to me. Yeah, and um, it's true. Like, some of the worst atrocities Americans have committed have been in the name of, like, manifest destiny mm-hmm. or westward expansion, you know, and uh, or, like, our, that we're more right than anyone else on the world stage for the last, since mm-hmm. World War II, when we've been a world power. Um, so... And then, it, and then it's like at that level and then an individual level where you buy a bigger house than you can afford because your friends are doing that, you know, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think, I think that's like a good. This mic stand's having a hard time yeah, for us so I keep knocking it, so I apologize, listeners. Um, but yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary, actually, of our. Yeah, and it was know. interesting because I, it's ironic because the author wrote that, but he doesn't really get it because he, in this novel, the whole time, Eugene is basically a symptom of that. He just needs more and more and more. More and more and more and more and more. And what he came from wasn't enough. And those who raised him aren't enough. And the things they did, he can't understand because they're not enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's, um, it like that, it's, it also like shows that why, like this book really encapsulates a lot of the things that are worse, the worst things about American culture, yeah. the gender stuff, the race stuff, the, the always wanting more stuff, the, the, um, not caring about the people who got you to where you are. The kind of, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I and the, the self righteousness that. that you deserve everything that you have yeah. because you earned it just by right of birth, which yeah. is that same, like, I think is uniquely American. I mean, it's closely tied to this to the idea that some people are born to rule and some people are born to suffer, which mm-hmm. is in colonialism. So we certainly get it from our European roots at the very yeah. least. But um, yeah, it's, so, it's right there with the idea. I thought that that was a really interesting um, 
quote in the novel and I it kind of like encapsulates what like I took away from the novel is this that that desire to always be something more that inability to see the good or the struggle or even to understand the bad in others yeah is horrifying to me and is what made it so I didn't like this book yeah. And it's so interesting because that is not 100% not the author's intent. So no. I did not take away his intended meaning. You read a deeper not, meaning into it, which you hate doing. Good job. I'm not his intended audience. No. Uh, in any way, shape, or form. And so... I'm going to guess that this guy didn't know that women could read <laughs> when he wrote this. This is a very masculine book. Yeah. And that there's no, like side story for women to get into this is writ book written for little boys there's not even yeah. i mean there's a couple of female characters but there's not any developed female characters no the female characters in the novel are serving men yeah 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 they, yeah they they, they never like yeah, they never, yeah, they basically have, like, one desire. Like, his mom's desire is to mm-hmm. buy property. The girl that he loves, you know, desire is to get married to somebody else. The, like, you know. It's, yeah, it's, his, his sister's, sister's desire is to take care of their dad. Like, yeah. and that's it. They have, they're not developed at all. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we've pretty much exhausted all the talk I ever want to have about this novel. <laughs> so, would you say this is a book where it's against our taste, but we still think it should be on the list? I can't even say that with a straight face. <laughs> I mean, I think we've been pretty clear. Should this book be on the list? No. no. 100% no. Burn it. <laughs> I Yeah, I, I have to say, I can't believe I'm going to say this sentence, I might dislike this book more than I disliked Gormenghast. Oh Not gosh. more than Titus Grown. Okay, so it would be like bottom three, Titus Grown, Look Homeward Angel, Gormenghast. Because yeah, I, I think that the message in this novel is more insidious than the message in Gormenghast. Like, Gormenghast was just a bad book. Yeah, it was boring. It was boring. It yeah. there was, But there was no, no things that I just, like, inherently don't agree with in life in that book. It was just a bad book. Yeah. This book, I just think that it was bad and... I don't like that many people say like that this is how young men should feel and this is the way that young mm-hmm. men develop. I don't like that people read that in a young man's character. I don't like when I have children, I don't want my sons to identify with this book in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And I think that it's the idea that it is presented as that and as such that we would have teenage boys read this book as a coming of age novel that they should identify with is horrifying to me. Yeah, I think that's true. And so that makes it worse for me than Titus Crone is still my bottom one because that book was just awful. But yeah, I think that might, that would be my bottom three. I don't think there's any other book we've read that is on par with those three. No. And I just, yeah, I just, there's no way I think this should be on the list. <laughs> well, I second all of that. So let's move on. That's the end of our discussion. Of we book never Angel. have to talk about this. Gross. Again. Um, let's see. So for our next segment, we thought we'd go back to a segment we've done before, uh, hashtag shred this book, where we each talk about a book that is our most hated book. And this is the young adult novel edition. Yes. And so, uh, we both actually chose series, which is funny. Um, so the series I showed, I would like to preface, this may be controversial. We both chose series (laughs) that people love and are like die hard for. So if you love this series... 
I possibly think you're wrong, but that's okay because you don't have to have the same taste that I do. Yeah. Um, so the series I chose was the Twilight series by <sighs> Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, and I chose this series because I think that the way it presents relationships is evil, mm-hmm. is awful. Yeah. And the way so many, and I don't even think that. It's just badly written to begin with. It's not a good young adult novel um, series. It has really mixed up, messed up, like, relationship that's Mm semi-abusive, that's very controlling. Mm -hmm. um, And all of that in itself would make me think people shouldn't read this novel. But then when I see, like, teenage girls reading this novel and falling in love with the character that is semi-abusive. I'm talking about Edward here. I mean, he's controlling and abusive. Um, falling in love with him. Yeah. I just think that that is disgusting to give women these um, young girls this idea that that is what you should expect from a relationship, a man who wants to control you and who gets upset when he can't. And that's how what love is. That's how you And that's love. what love is. Yeah. And he doesn't grow as a character. And I'm all, again... I'm all for reformed bad boy. Like, that is my trope weakness that I love. So I wouldn't have even hated it if he started out as controlling and then learned from it. But the character doesn't grow at all. I mean, they have sex for the first time, and he bruises and breaks her body and breaks the bed and says it's because he can't control himself, and she forgives him. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that part. (laughs) It is so messed up. I just feel for how loved... And I've read them all. I read them all. I bought into it Well, I was going to say, because we, like... They came out when we were in college. Mm -hmm. Maybe, like, juniors in college. and And I read all of them, and I liked them. And that's saying people a lot younger than we were when we read them. Like, we fell for it. You know, yeah. it, t- it took me until later when someone was like, those books are kind of screwed up for these reasons. I was like, oh, yeah, they totally are. But at first, I just loved them. So if you put that book in the hand of a 14-year-old. And that's yeah. why I think that it's a shred this book. I just think that if it's enough that it tricks adult women into thinking that that is an appropriate relationship, we shouldn't be presenting that to 14-year-olds. Yeah. Okay. I absolutely agree. Yeah. So, so that is my shred this book. Don't hate me. Don't unfollow or subscribe to us. We will not have to talk about Twilight again. If you like it, you can pretend you didn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> I do think the only good thing about Twilight is that I think it made it ma- made a, ge- a generation of women into readers. So it's like one of the books on the Great American Read um, this summer mm-hmm. on PBS. And I was kind of like, why that one? It hasn't really stood the test of time. People don't even talk about it or read yeah. it anymore. But I think people voted for it to get it to the 100 because it's the book that made them love reading. Which also makes me sad that yeah. Harry Potter... Narnia, even Little House on the Prairie, like yeah, not say there are other choices, but if it, that's what made you a reader, it's still good to be a reader. You know? Yeah. Um, okay, my series is also controversial, um, and it's a series where I read all of the books. Keep hope, keep continuously hoping that it's going to pay off. It's going to be explained, uh-huh. and it just never happened. And I've and I've read all of them, and I felt and I felt just the ending was so weak. And th- those are all the Maze Runner books. Yeah, I felt robbed by those two. Which, <laughs> which was just like, oh, at the, the first book, you're like, ooh, exciting premise. Like, what's it going to be? And then it doesn't get answered in the first book. So you read the second book and it doesn't get answered. And then by the time it gets answered, it's just like, what? It doesn't make, like, it doesn't make any it, sense. It's like a non-answer, Yeah, too. it's a non-answer. And it's just like, I feel like there's 
many, many young adult series and trilogies I've read that the last book is weak and they never uh-huh. explain their premise because the author just wrote the first book, not really thinking about the series. And then and then the book was really popular. So they had to keep going and they can't close it either because they yeah. won't pull the trigger and like kill some main characters or because they don't know. They mm-hmm. you need to have plotted it all out at the beginning. And they didn't because they didn't expect it to blow up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I haven't seen them any of the movies because I, I was just and but I still felt compelled to read the next one but it just never came no so i feel like that's like they're a waste of time well Mm -hmm. and two with those books especially i think there's many examples in ya but those books were like were especially bad about it like the ending had no real closure Mm -hmm. yeah at least most of the ones that feel rushed you're just thinking oh i was a little robbed there but at least there was an ending this one didn't really seem to even have an ending yeah it was an ending that was a beginning that didn't offer any answers yeah and it's just like you it's not that that makes the whole premise worthless you know if you can't explain it at the end yeah yeah and there, i mean there's other books like that particularly in that kind of like sci-fi fantasy more like genre of young adult books but that one in particular stands up that it didn't have enough redeemable qualities. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, too, um, when an author can't kill a character, that is a pet peeve for me. Oh, yeah. When something is so building up, so building up, and then they can't even kill someone at the end, and you're yeah. just sitting there thinking, well, it's like, you someone know, someone was supposed to die there. You know how, like, every year I think it's on Harry Potter's birthday, J.K. Rowling apologizes for some character who died in the Harry Potter series. Uh-huh. And sometimes they're really funny and it's funny to see people's reactions and stuff. But inside I'm just like, it's good that she killed those characters. It made the books good. It yeah. made the book books that the, there really was a life or death cost. Mm-hmm. And if there wasn't, they wouldn't have been as popular because it would have yeah. been so fake feeling. Uh, the book series with Triss and Four, what is that book called? Seri- Divergent. Divergent. I was so bad when I finished that series because that she That one definitely someone. has a weak ending, really Has weak. a weak ending, but she at least had the balls to kill someone. Yeah. She did kill someone, but she still didn't fully explain the premise. True. Those books like, oh, the first one was good, the second one was good, the third one sucked. Not as bad, though, as Maze Runner. Not as bad as Maze Runner because they had other things I liked about them. Or similar, Delirium had I a similar... I was going to say that, where the ending was just vague, and that was, I think, because they were supposed to turn it into a TV series but it never came oh, and it's so you could never, leave, never leave a book series open-ended because there might be a tv series that's the stupidest yeah. thing in the world that is a ya i think if we were to add a ya pet peeve it's when book series don't get rounded out right yeah because it just it happens so frequently and i think it's because authors once that tumble of fame gets going with those ya books are expected to like pump them out and pump them out and then they don't know where their novel is going and then it's just yeah, and they probably have, like, different editors than when they started, and they were at a small press, uh-huh. and now they're at a big press, and, um, yeah, yeah. It just, they kind of, kind of falls apart. <laughs> so, those are our two Shred This books. Young Adult uh, Edition. Young Adult Edition. Uh, we will probably continue to repeat this one, just because it's a fun, easy after segment. So, if you have an idea of what kind of novels you want us to shred next, you can share it with us on our social media. Yes, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at 1001BooksPod and on Litzy at 1001BooksPodcast or email us 1001BooksPodcast at gmail.com. Um, and before we say goodbye, we have to choose the book for next oh, week. Oh, yes. Book 25. That's dun, momentous. Dun, 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 dun. And the title of this book is Solitude. Hmm. Solitude. They're going to be alone. <laughs> I think it's going to be like a really long monologue. Oh God! I hope not. Like a or like a solilo- soliloquy from a play or something. Oh. 
or it's going to be, I feel, like, I feel like it's going to be growing. like kind of pretentious, like about how I found solitude and I found myself or oh, something. Oh, that sounds interesting. Not a monologue though. <laughs> you know how I feel about chapters. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess, yeah, monologues don't have chapters. <laughs> if it's going to be a monologue, it needs to be short. Hmm. We shall see though. Yeah, but a monologue, a short term monologue is like five pages. I know it's not going to be five pages. <laughs> Five-page novel. (laughs) Um, Well, until next time, we hope you are enjoying your summer. And happy reading. reading!